John, how are Andrew. you doing today? I'm doing well, man. Allergies killing me a little bit, but you know what got me pumped for today? Was our guests. Our guests. Yes. We have a good guest today. I I was so excited today because I spent a portion of my week feeling like our guest. And I'll explain that a little bit. But I, I was feeling very, very Quinnish this week, if you will. I mean, I have a lot of Quinstons that I want to that I want to ask. And I would say I think in our pantheon of incredible guests. That does exist. I'd say probably probably the best, most candid mm. guest mm-hmm. that we've ever had we've ever had on the show. Most capable when it comes to technology. Capable for sure. I mean probably I'd imagine more capable, maybe as capable if you put both of us together. We could probably match the things that this gentleman can do and and build. the one and only Mr. Snazzy Q himself, ladies and gentlemen, Quinn Nelson. Guys, stop it. Come on. You're making me embarrassed over here. Listen, Hi. Glad to have you. It's, it's great. Just We're kidding. so happy that you're here today. Like I said, I, I was feeling very Quinnish this week, which I'll get into. But sometimes there are things Quinnish. that I do with tech where I'm like, it just it just pops in my head. I feel like Quinn Nelson right now. And that, that's like, so that's like, I'm, it's everything like something I'm, trying, I'm achieving. Everything went wrong. I'm achieving something in that moment. What did you What did you build? <laughs> See, it wasn't it wasn't that I wasn't that Quinn. I wasn't to that level. I didn't build anything. All right, but did you fix. Basically, let's just jump into it. Let's just jump into it. iOS 17.2 dropped today. Dropped this morning. Before yes. Then. So one thing in iOS 17.2 is spatial capture. If you have an iPhone 15. And what spatial capture is, is it uses the the main wide camera and the ultra wide camera in conjunction to create a spatial video, a 3D video that you can then watch later in Apple Vision Pro. Wait, way later. Way later, right. Well, hopefully, hopefully not too much later. Hopefully just a couple months away. But there is an app you can get on test flight. So you need to be you need it to be running the iOS 17.2 beta. Then you need to get this app through test flight and pre and load that onto your phone. It's called Spatialify. And it will take, if you record these today, it will take them and spatialize them now before you have Vision Pro, but you don't have a Vision Pro, so you, st- you can't use that. So then you need to get your MetaQuest 3. Maybe it works with the 2 as well, I'm not sure, but I have a 3 here. Get oh, your MetaQuest you. 3, but then you need to use something called oh, you went full quit. You went, you went full yes, quit. Yes. You, you have to download something called SideQuest. You can sideload these spatialized videos that you use from this weird test flight app onto the MetaQuest 3. Okay? So I'm running beta software. I'm running software from someone that I didn't know. Like when you put it in test flight, all the text is in Chinese. So I don't know what I'm doing here. But at the end of the day. <laughs> that always works out well. <laughs> at the end of the day. I had several spatialized videos running on the MetaQuest 3, and it was glorious. And, and as, as everything, when everything worked, again, I, just like, I feel like Quinn Nelson right now. I didn't go into Linux or anything, but I, mean, I, felt, if, I felt certainly more than myself. If you described that scenario and said, who did this? The first exactly. Like, obviously, it's exactly. This, like, this it's, is it's a, Quinn. Quintessent, a quintessential video that Quinn would make. <laughs> You took away my video idea. Come on. <laughs> I'm, I'm in post with that. What are you Are doing? you really? No. <laughs> that sounds pretty cool, though. One thing that I realized, humans never, never see themselves in 3D. When we see ourselves, we see ourselves in a 2D plane, whether it's in the mirror, right, which is 2D, or like we see now ourselves on a screen as we're recording this, I'm seeing myself in 2D. Sure. I've never seen myself in 3D ever until that moment, which is just—it's just interesting. Was it horrifying? We didn't—we didn't really want to tell you. What <laughs> it wasn't horrifying, but it is—it's so cool. So if you obviously, if you have loved ones, which most people do, right? That's where this starts to shine. So I started doing this on Thanksgiving. So on Thanksgiving, we were cooking. And like putting up a tree and all this stuff. And I just put the phone on a tripod and just recorded a few things. And it was like, you go back and you watch it. And it's like, this is, 
it's pretty incredible. Very different from when I watched spatial video very briefly on the Vision Pro because when, when using the Vision Pro, it kind of puts it in like a, I don't know what you want to call it. Like the, the edges are kind of like dreamy and fadey away. So you're like looking at a memory yeah. or something. And this was just watching a 3D video. But still, watching it was so like, it's almost like an emotional experience. It's like, I, where has this been? It's so cool that it's here now, even through this hacky method. But I almost feel like every video that you take going forward of your family and loved ones should just be a spatial video. Even if you, you know what I mean? It should just, you should just record that way from now on because the way that you're able to experience them going forward is so much better than just looking at, you know, a typical video on your phone. It's an opportunity, it sounds like at least, like to relive a moment in time, yeah. right? To go back to that moment and see it. All this stuff, do I still, I feel like this is, it sounds cool. I also feel like it's very like, reminds me of the slofy thing where it's like, it's cool <laughs> to try once and I'm never gonna use this again because it's a bit of a hassle or I'm just gonna forget about it. That I mean, that's a thing, right? You do need to put on some sort of headset to see it in 3D. Like that's, that is the barrier to entry. And if you don't have Apple's $3,500 headset, then you need to do this workaround that I, I'm sure no one, I mean, it, it was annoying. I did it because I wanted to, you know, see if it would work, see if I could do it. But it's not yeah. something that the average person is just gonna be like, oh, let me just grab these three pieces of software and make sure I'm running this, like no one's gonna do that. So. It is, there is a barrier to entry there that needs to be lessened. I don't know, I mean, how, how I don't know how you would. You need a headset, right? You just need a headset. Yeah, so. or a piece of cardboard. So I, I have a question for Quinn. Because Quinn's been, like, it's like a little bit in the news the yeah. past week, right? Like, a little bit. if you know where to look, you saw, you saw Quinn's name oh, yeah. pop up. There aren't many there aren't many videos where I'll go through and watch the entire thing out of interest. But when I'm on Android, I was every Android phone I've used for the past few months, I've had Beeper on. Now pre Beeper Mini, it it wasn't explain, perfect. Explain what Beeper is. But even Yeah. But even ninety five percent of working was great. So I'll let Quinn probably do a better job explaining it, but essentially it gives you iMessage functionality on Android. And the very version of Beeper I was using, I had a desktop app, so I could still all my messages still came through. It was really good. Quinn kind of debuted, I think gave the best explanation of their new service, Beeper Mini, which took out the, I don't know, maybe the, maybe the risk or the worry that people had of having to sign with an Apple ID and tied it just to a phone number, like signing up for, for anything else. And it evidently worked very well. The idea was that Apple would be too big of a pain for Apple to patch. It was definitely reminiscent of Palm Pre Apple days. Apple patched it right quick. And then I think just today, actually, Beeper now, it's working, but you have to sign in with an Apple ID again. So Quinn, who walked through this whole, if you haven't seen Quinn's video explaining the service um, and the, the, the technical reasons for how it works, was absolutely fascinating. I think you were very uniquely qualified to make that video. So what's your thought on Beeper as a whole? Will it ever be a service that's just reliable and always going to work? It's always going to be just a cat and mouse with Apple forever. Yeah, no. I, and, and I wish I would have pitched this a little different in the original video. I was, in fact, writing an entirely different video about why RCS isn't really going to solve the iMessage debacle we have here in the United States. And I was going to use Beeper as an example of an app that allowed you and has allowed for, you know, many, many months and in the instances of other competing services like AirMessage for years to basically relay yeah. the messages that you receive through a real Mac or through a macOS instance on towards an Android phone. And that's something that continues to work even now. It's what nothing chats essentially yeah. aim to do. They just did a really, really bad job at it. And in the process of kind of determining that Beeper was the best way to explain how a service like this worked. I, and I too have been running Beeper in the background for a few months. I reached out to, to Eric Mijakovsky, the, the CEO of Beeper and kind of said, Hey, you know, this is what I have planned. What do you 
think is, is kind of the future of iMessage and where do you see yourself fitting in? And that's when he said, Hey, so I'm um, actually, we have this whole new app coming out in a couple of days. And I basically retailored the whole script to, to be about beeper mini. Okay. Cause I, the technicalities of how it worked was so fascinating to me, but it's clear that Apple was able to figure out how to patch beeper mini a lot quicker than anybody and in, certainly including them expected. And they're now kind of in this, definitely, I think, cat and mouse is the best way to define it, way of, of trying to, to keep, you know, to keep it working. But Apple has said publicly, hey, you know, we're going to continue to make sure this doesn't yeah. work <laughs> in the interest of security for our users. And it's a, it's a fascinating kind of statement. I understand where Apple is in, in where they view this because... Beeper is a service that's monetized. It makes money. It utilizes Apple's servers without permission to run and and basically push a bunch of messages through their back end. So they're the ones paying for bandwidth and server costs. They're the ones that are, you know, having the burden yeah. of this messaging service while one dude is essentially pretending to be an iPhone and and making money off of that. But on the other hand, I really understand where Beeper's coming from. Um, in the United States and people do not understand this and I, Europeans, I love you. <laughs> you're awesome, but you do not get iMessage and how prevalent it is in the United States. And it's not as simple as saying, well, why don't you just go download WhatsApp from the app store and problem solved? You don't have to use iMessage anymore. That's not how it works. And that's, I mean, if, if you look at countries where WhatsApp is dominant, it's dominant because they were the default. In South America, WhatsApp would pay cell phone carriers to be the default messaging service oh, really? on devices that were purchased. Yes. And so uh, messaging services have their grasp on the markets where they're successful because they are the lowest resistance. They were free and they were the default. We didn't have that here in the United States. We just had iMessage that interoperated with SMS, which had already become the default because by 2005, 2006, almost everybody had unlimited SMS plans anyway. Yeah. And if you go back to 2011, iMessage didn't have reactions. It didn't have inline GIFs and stickers. It was really rudimentary. It was end-to-end -end secure. It allowed for higher quality video and picture transmission. That's about it. And so it was a it was a natural evolution of SMS. And we slowly over time have, it's, it's almost sunk cost fallacy where now, you know, 10, 12, 13 years into iMessage, we go, oh, okay, actually, the difference between iMessage and SMS is really big. Didn't used to be, but it is yeah. now. And we're, we're kind of stuck. We're too bought in, just like countries in Europe are bought into WhatsApp, even though they know that Signal or Telegram are better, more secure, more end-to-end -end encrypted services. And that's where things are a bit frustrating is even though WhatsApp and Signal and, you know, other apps out there have their own advantages and disadvantages, iMessage is, is the default. People are not likely to change, particularly when you yeah. look at even the, the cultural differences that go between, you know, iPhone and, and not iPhone owners. So I, I use this as an example. If you look at the Latino community in, in particular, WhatsApp is far more commonly used because friends and family use that with their friends and family members that are still back in their home countries. And then they, by extension, use it with their friends that are here in the United States. So you look at something like the Latino community and they are all in on WhatsApp. It's very rare to see them using iMessage. But then you look at areas with, you know, I use my neighborhood as an example where everyone has had an iPhone for 10, 12 years iMessage is just what everyone uses. And so I could go get all of my friends to download another app, but they don't really like me enough to do that. And so the lowest resistance messaging platform is iMessage. And that's increasingly becoming the case in the United States. I mean, we hear the statistics again and again where, you know, nine out of 10 teenagers own an iPhone. They're going to yeah. be using iMessage. And so iMessage does have not a monopoly, but a total dominance on messaging here in the United States. And that's where you see things like Beeper being exciting and people getting stoked about that because it's increasingly difficult to be the green bubble Android user. And not just because the color's green, but because yeah. with that comes inherent insecurity. You totally screw up group messages. Threading doesn't work well. Reactions, to, it's a sucky experience. And that's almost, I'm, I don't want to throw Apple under, under the bus, 
but that's almost by design. I don't think they're intentionally trying yeah. to make it awful, but they have 10 years of tech debt that they just haven't cared to make good because it ultimately does encourage people to buy an iPhone. <laughs> so how do you see how do you see RCS filling into this? Um, when Apple does support it next year, it'll be fine. I don't see it. Oh, I just did a reaction <laughs> on my webcam. I don't see it being a, a big change, honestly. Apple has stated to during Fireball, John Gruber, that the messages will continue to stay green. I, I don't think there's going to be a delineation from within iMessage of, hey, this is different than SMS. And so the uneducated user will have the stereotype that it will continue to be a pain in the butt. And in many ways, it, it will be because while you might be able to support uh, reactions and higher quality media, you're still not going to be able to do location sharing. Stickers are not going to work as yeah. well because it's not iMessage. It's just a slightly better SMS. And I guess it remains to be seen, but if everything is to be believed, RCS support will not launch on iOS with end-to-end -end encryption. So it's still going to be inherently insecure. And you better believe that Apple's going to market that as, hey, iMessage is, is what you do to message your friends securely. It's a huge selling point. But it's because they don't want to adopt, and I don't blame them, they don't want to adopt Google's, you know, bastardized flavor of, of RCS that has its own proprietary nonsense on the top. Yeah. They're basically saying, hey, we're going to go back to the GSMA and work with this to get implemented at the carrier level. And I think it will happen eventually and it will be good, but good luck. Have you worked with carriers? I mean, it's going to take years for end-to-end -end encryption to become a thing on RCS. And iOS is still going to be the bottleneck in that solution in a way, because Google has their own proprietary version of RCS. All Android phones can message end to end securely in, in between each other. Apple has the same effectively thing with iMessage. It's when you cross the borders that there is incompatibility, that there is instability, that there is the lack of security. And I'm not saying this squarely falls on Apple. This falls on Google too. They both have their own issues, but it's a shame that just based on the operating system you've you've selected to use, you basically block yourself off from the other half of the world. <laughs> how do you, just just clarify you, how why do you say it also falls on Google? Uh, because Google's not really using RCS. I mean, they are, but hmm. th they've added their own layer of of proprietary crap because the GSMA, the body that's technically responsible for the RCS standard, is so slow and incompetent at making change because it's a you know, it's a it's like every one of these standards. I mean, you look like the USB IF and they're awful. With USB 4 version 2, what even is that? So, there's so much incompetence at that level that Google, just like Apple, basically said okay, we're sick of this. This is a joke. We're just going to do our own thing. And because Google controls Android, and Android is one of two operating systems on the planet for mobile phones, by, de by default, they do anything and they've already half the world's on board. And so Google has their own version of encryption on top of the RCS standard that some carriers have chosen to implement. So here in the United States, AT&T, T-Mobile, Verizon, they all participate in Google's flavor of RCS. But for carriers that don't, that haven't gone on board, Google just says, okay, and just does it their own on their servers on beyond, like they kind of just circumvent the carrier and they're doing yeah. effectively what iMessage is doing. People think when they send an iMessage to a phone number that that's going through the carrier somehow. It's not. Apple just has a database of numbers where when you sign up with iMessage, instead of using an email or, and it can use an email, but instead of using a username or an email, it just uses your phone number as your username effectively. And so when you type out a number, you might notice this when you type it into the messages app on the iPhone. When you type out a number, it'll turn green for just like a fraction of a second, and then it turns blue. And basically what's that doing is, is going to, to Apple's authentication servers, and it says, hey, is this phone number, is this an iMessage user? And once it establishes that, yes, it is, that connection goes between you and that user directly. There is no carrier involvement. It doesn't go through AT&T. It's, it's all end-to-end -end encrypted. But when there is no iMessage fallback and it just uses SMS, that's when you go through the carriers. And yeah. so Google is saying, hey, if you want to play ball and use our RCS standard, we'll, we'll go through the carriers. You guys can handle that. But in the event that the carrier goes, yeah, no, we don't want to implement what Google expects from RCS, then Google just goes, fine. These are both Android users and we're just going to circumvent you entirely. So... It's not really RCS. It's like RCS asterisk, yeah. except for when yeah. it can't, and then it's you know. So we're we're seeing a bit of a sea change from Apple. I think in the early stages of what Apple's doing, right? I think it started with USB Type C. Whether you want to 
pin it on the EU or Apple just realizing a change needs to be made. The next big change you're expecting to see is sideloading apps, yeah. probably region specific in the EU. Even it was rumored to come as early as this version of iOS, was it 17.2? Yeah. As of now, Apple's avoided gatekeeper status in the European Union for iMessage, mm-hmm. right? That's they haven't been able to be forced to make a change. Do you, I mean, two years ago, I would have said this isn't even a possibility. Do you think we'll ever see iMessage for Android? I don't know. I think that if the EU establishes, I'm going to say, I probably shouldn't say this, but if the EU establishes iMessage as a monopoly, the EU is screwed up because the because Apple does not have monopoly status for messaging in Europe. Yeah. They're not even on the billboard. That's WhatsApp. That's there are so many other apps that have more market share than iMessage that it's not even funny. And that's been their saving grace, though, why they have it. Exactly. Now, in the United States, I think that's a different story. But antitrust regulation here in the United States is way more lax than in somewhere like the European Union. And so as the iPhone becomes more popular, and it is, market share in the United States is increasing multi-percentage points year over year. Apple is killing it in the United States. And again, that statistic of teenagers, 90% of teenagers buy an iPhone. That's not going to change. They have loyalty to the platform. So as people age out and as the iPhone gains more dominance in the US, iMessage is going to become that much more of a monopoly as if, if you couldn't argue that in many ways it kind of already is. And I think there is a point if Apple doesn't change that they could be held liable for some sort of antitrust monopoly status in the United States. But I think that's so far down the road because what the U.S. determines to be a monopoly is so vastly different from what the EU does, for example, that it will be many, many, many years, if ever. But where I think Apple needs to be more concerned is not the legal portion of it, but the usability portion. The I, you know, when iMessage came out back in 2011, Apple's argument was at least in the United States, where the iPhone is the best selling smartphone, SMS sucks. It's insecure. It doesn't support high quality messaging. And that, all of that was true. But over time, that's no longer necessarily been the case. There are alternatives, there are other options. And it's unfortunate that because Apple is so stingy, about iMessage being a part of what it means to own an iPhone, that it is now to the point where there is an inherently worse experience for Apple's own users. When you message someone with an Android phone, it's a worse experience. When you have a group message going on and you add even just a single Android user into your group message, the entire group message becomes insecure. It is a worse experience. And it's to the point where If the only, and the argument is, well, Apple's scared about losing market share. If they were releasing an iMessage app for Android, they would lose people to Android. And my argument is, if the only thing keeping people on the iPhone is iMessage, then Apple's screwed anyways, (laughs) because that's not going to last forever. I think Apple knows, and if they don't, they should know, listen up, that Apple makes excellent products. The Apple ecosystem is incredible. People don't just buy iPhones because of iMessage. They buy it because of AirDrop and location sharing and all of the amazing services that are coupled into the iPhone. I don't think if iMessage existed for Android that it would somehow ruin the iPhone's market share in the US. In fact, if anything, I think if you made a really good iMessage app, Apple, and put it on Android, people that have been buying Android phones over time might go, holy crap, the iMessage app is really good. It's like the best messaging app I've ever used. And it might encourage them to actually go buy an iPhone. And that's where I'm frustrated is that they've created a situation where the experience is compromised for everyone, not just Android users. And it doesn't need to be. How do you play that out if you're Apple? Five, six, seven years. Is it a free app? Is it subscription? If, is it bundled into it's bundled into Apple One? Yeah, you know that's where things get tricky, and and I think they have if they're considering it as a as a customer acquisition tool, and I think that's what they should do. You make it free, because if you look at all the messaging apps that are popular, they're popular because they're free. <laughs> they're low resistance yeah. and they're free. So if you if even if Apple said, hey, we only charge one dollar to use iMessage, and it was an official app, it would do okay but it would not do as well as WhatsApp because WhatsApp is free. So they've got to compete with the competition and the competition 
is at zero cost. Now that's kind there's an asterisk there, you know, um, yeah. meta is certainly kind of has their ways of, of monetizing WhatsApp users. But, um, I think if Apple's goal is, Hey, we should improve the experience for iPhone users and give Android users the taste of the good life, then you make it free. But I mean, I don't know. They could include, if they didn't want to do that, and I think that would be a mistake, but I still think they'd have tons of success with iMessage on Android if they included it as part of Apple One, or hey, if you pay for Apple Music, which is a really good yeah. app on Android, by the way, then you get iMessage free by default, or you know whatever. Or if you pay for any of these Apple services, maybe, and this is a thought too, that I've had the last couple of days, maybe you offer iMessage for free. Okay, it's available to all Android users, but if you want cloud syncing capabilities and you want us to back up your messages and your photos, yeah. give us a dollar a month or, or something like that, where yeah. it's offered with low resistance. But if you want a little more, then you can do that. But that I think is the best solution is to just offer iMessage to everyone and let the product speak for itself, not hamper the product by, you know. This anyway, is it, yeah. isn't RCS so, going to I, I want, be the fix for most people though? The fix that most people care about. I mean, I care. I I do want end-to-end -end encryption in my messaging, but I think most people just don't want photos. Most people that don't care that look terrible. Yeah, and totally. videos that are just horrible. So if Apple is integrating RCS, I'm assuming into iOS 18, then mm -hmm. that solves the biggest pain point in one-to-one -one and group messages when you take away some of the superfluous stuff like stickers um your messaging yeah. is going to be upgraded pretty substantially it, it just it just seems to me that, yes. that that fixes it for most people and should fix it from now i'm not you know i'm no expert in government affairs but from a monopolistic perspective you can message you don't need iMessage to send messages. There's there's plenty of options. Totally. And with the integration of RCS, it makes it even easier. But I don't know if you guys saw, did you see Elizabeth Warren yesterday? Yeah, she, I did she see posted, that. <laughs> I'll read the tweet real quick. Green yeah. bubble texts are less secure. So why would Apple block a new app allowing Android users to chat with iPhone users on iMessage? Big tech executives are protecting profits by squashing competitors. Chatting between different platforms should be easy and secure. Personally, this makes me worried for our spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Yeah, spoiler alert. Businesses try to make money. It's, it's yeah. well. What's and strange I... is I don't. When I picture the old days, right before the tech mm -hmm. boom, I feel like if you were in the government, things were pretty easy to like. Issues were pretty easy to understand. But now, and I could be wrong, but that's just my 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 sense of the past. It's just like more common sense kind of stuff. And now with things like AI, and even it's like. You're 87 years old, you're running the government, and you have no clue what these things are, and you're just throwing out hot takes. Like, to me, if I were to buy a DVD that someone else made and make copies and sell them for $2 each, and they squash me, are they? is big media squashing competitors because I took the thing that they made squashing. and I'm trying to make profit? Yeah. Like, that's what this seems like. I don't know. And that's the problem is, is Senator Warren postulates that Beeper is a competitor, that there is no competition. Beeper is utilizing Apple oh. servers to sell a service that they don't have any control over. So they're not a competitor in the slightest. But what I do think her tweet highlights, and this is what I think is important, is does Apple fundamentally care about privacy? They mm -hmm. claim in every commercial that the iPhone is secure, that this is where security is to be found. But that stops being true the second you send a text message. And the question I guess I have for Apple is, is that a marketing tool to sell more iPhones or is it a genuine belief? If it's a fundamental belief that Apple thinks privacy is something that needs to be given to every user of their platform, then they need to bring it to iPhone or to Android or, or give iPhone users the ability to have that complete security because the iPhone isn't totally secure. The iPhone is totally secure asterisk as long as you're messaging other iPhone users. Right. And if they truly care about security, that's where I think they need to make a change. And if you look at Apple's own executives, I mean, some of the documents we got through the Epic lawsuit yep. were awesome. You go back to 2013 and, and Eddie Q is, is asking Craig Federighi, hey, shouldn't we you know, kind of stop doing this iMessage thing? And if I'm giving Apple the benefit of the doubt, I think that, it's, that iMessage got too big too quickly 
They wanted to use it as a lock-in effect for a couple of years, and it just spiraled out of control. Now we're 10 years in the future, and they're like, oh, crap, this ended up being a bigger problem than we thought. And so now they're doing RCS as a way to kind of get around the argument that maybe they have monopolistic messaging here in the United States. I mean, you look at Tim Cook a year ago, and he didn't seem to believe that. So this is a, is a more recent attitude change. And it's just frustrating that Apple is reacting to legis- to the threat of legislation, rather than proactively providing a better user experience for their users. If that's where I'm bummed. If they, if they are able to, I don't know if convince is the right word, but if they're able to get anti-anti encryption baked in to the standard mm-hmm. yeah does that Which i think they will solve does that show that they really were concerned about privacy but they also are standards based or do you mm. think that it really is no. just a marketing tactic to sell iphones and it's not well really- because if they really care about it they do it now I do think they're working on end-to-end encryption with the GSMA. I do think they care about that. But by the time that gets adopted by global cell phone carriers, this is five, 10 years into the future. So does Please. Apple care about the, th- about the theory of privacy or do they actually care about privacy? And that's where, you know, I, I don't think they're liars. I think they do care about privacy. They've demonstrated time and time again that that's important to them. But is it so important that you're, that you're willing to perhaps forfeit potential profit of, of someone leaving to another platform because what mm-hmm. has kept people on the iPhone no longer keeps people on the iPhone. And then again, I would come back to that point by saying, if the only reason that people are staying on iOS is because of iMessage, well, then iOS actually sucks. But I don't think iOS sucks. I don't think they're going to lose customers at all. If anything, I think they will gain customers. So I don't understand yeah. what this huge problem is for them you know, refusing to kind of bring it to other platforms. It's better for everyone. And it's a shame that it hasn't happened already. <laughs> can can I can I pivot us for a please. minute? Yeah, please do. I'm <laughs> all right. I want to pivot. I want to pivot us, and I want I want to ask this question to Twitter Quinn or X Quinn. Oh boy! Because anybody who knows it knows anybody who knows Quinn and is on your flame Quinn retarded suit. Him, when the, one of the loveliest human beings you'll ever meet. I mean, <laughs> oh, thank you. I don't know. But, that's true, but, but if you're only, but if you're only inter, if you're only interactions with Quinn, the only way you know Quinn is through social media. Then you think he's I think a by really big douchebag. X, only on X. Different, different, per, different, different persona. Not all social media, right? though. So I want to channel just X, yeah. just X Quinn. No, X Twitter. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I want to channel that version of Quinn. Okay. And I want to ask you. I'm just gonna say it in I'm one worried. word. Cybertruck. One word? Let's, what that, that, that's my, that's my question. That's can, I, statement. can I have two words? All right, no, no. I'm asking you in one word. You can have as many words as okay. you need. Two words. Thoughts on, thoughts on it. Ugly cool. I think it's hideous. And I think Elon is a douche. But you know what? I don't think that the Cybertruck is anything short of fantastic. If anything, because the technology... I've, and this is one thing that people don't understand about me. There's this perception that I'm some kind of Tesla hater. I'm not a Tesla hater at all. I've been a Tesla fanboy for like years and years and years and years and years. You own Tesla. I, I own, well, I don't anymore, but I own Tesla stock. I still recommend yeah. when people say, hey, what EV should I go buy? A Tesla is at the top of the list. It's not a Rivian. It's not a Kia. It's if you don't know anything about electric cars and you want an electric car, just go buy a Tesla. Their technology is better than anyone else's, and it's not close. And the Cybertruck, with the innovations that it brings, with the kind of dual-pack 400-volt charging, with steer-by-wire, with the incredible consolidation of components that Tesla continues to do year over year, I don't think that's changing at all. I think the Cybertruck, from an engineering standpoint, is a marvel. I think it's incredible. And I think it's it's yet again, I mean, Tesla for, for years has been so far ahead of anyone, it's not even close in terms of software and in terms of the way they manufacture their vehicles. I mean, I love my Rivian, but go pull out the trunk liner. John, you can do this. Go pull out the trunk liner of your R1S and look at how many hoses and components are all mounted yeah. on and then go open up a Tesla and it's like looking at an Apple product. Mm-hmm. They have consolidated the components that can break, that can um, experience issues into one single piece, if a piece at all. You look at, you know, coolant servos that open and close coolant paths to the battery pack, to other parts of the system. And in every other EV, it's a nightmare. They have these servos scattered everywhere underneath the car. They're mounted to mismatched metals. Let's put one here. They have tons of cabling. And Tesla was like, hmm, 
let's just put it all into one single thing and call it the super manifold. And then if anything ever breaks, we just swap out that one component and then we're done. It's, it's, it's genius. And it's the reason why Tesla single-handedly has demolished the perception that automaking is a crappy business for years automakers were making like maybe a couple thousand dollars on every car they sold. It's why we bailed them out like every 10 years for the last 50 years. They suck at being good businesses. And then Tesla came out of nowhere and was like, oh, hey, by the way, you can make $30,000 on a car just like that. It's, it's bananas. It's mind blowing. And part of that is because they have thrown out the convention of what a car is supposed to be and completely re-engineered it from the ground up. And it's not always good. I don't think everything that Tesla does is awesome. But most of the time, it's the right way to do things. And I think the Cybertruck is the next evolution of that. They're yet again, jumping five to 10 years ahead of the rest of the industry. And so even though the truck is ugly and I think it looks stupid and I think you look like a douche if you drive one, I don't blame you because it's a really, really sick truck. And my hope is that the rest of what the Cybertruck does and achieves at a technical level will make it into the rest of the vehicles that Tesla sells that don't look stupid. And I, and I think it will. I think the Model 3, the Model Y, they're going to get what the Cybertruck does in a couple of years, and it's going to just kick butt again. Would you, do you have an order for one? I have two, but we'll see if either of them come to fruition. I, I don't envision replacing my Rivian because I love the Rivian and we've gone off-roading with it and it's just so much fun and I like the brand and I like the interior fit and finish that's one thing I'll say that you know Teslas have gotten a lot better but they're too Spartan the the, the Rivian just feels warm and comfy and nice and so I don't see a Cybertruck displacing that for me but I would be fascinated to own one if just for a few months and then get sued when I try to resell it because I just want to see the tech because, because technologically, sorry, Rivian, the Cybertruck is superior. I mean, it, it just is, but I don't, I don't want to drive it. <laughs> what about you, John? No, I'm, I'm in the same boat. Yeah. I, I mean, I have, I have a day one reservation and they're sending out, it seems like pretty fast for day one reservations. Like you can configure your founder series. I love my truck. I love my R1T. I would love to drive a Cybertruck, like you said, for a little while, just to try it, to experience it, to see what it's about. But I, I, I don't, I don't think I could drive it as a, as my own, as like as my car. Uh, first, I don't think my wife would ever drive with me in it. Um, <laughs> yeah, mine, mine up like straight up told me you're not buying. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I do wonder if like that's a that's like a big hindrance for a Cybertruck. Did I you see the other to. day? I don't know if it was real, yeah. but. I think it was someone who got one of the early ones listed their Cybertruck for sale specifically because their spouse was like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not. And it, he was like, here's the, here's the bill of sale. We just got it. Obviously I was one of the first ones off the road. Yeah. I, my, my wife will not get in this vehicle. So therefore, and she, and she refuses to park it. So we, we can't have it. So for sale. Wow. Yeah. I don't, um, I don't want to get like political with stuff. But I think part of that is, is just Elon's behavior over the last couple of years. Mm. When the Cybertruck came out, people were like, Whoa, that's, <laughs> that's weird looking. Are they serious? That's kind of ugly, but it was kind of like cool, ugly. And yeah. now it's people just think you're an Elon Stan kind of, which is a bummer. And that's with all Tesla's. Right. And it's a real shame because Tesla is an amazing company that makes amazing cars. I wish Elon just wasn't the way that he is, but. Do you think, can you separate or should people and I was on the, the Monroe Live podcast last week. We talked yeah. about this. Should people separate Elon from Tesla to purchasing decisions? Or are they so you know, are they so intertwined with, with, with each other? I won't tell people how to act politically or what to believe. I think it's silly to conflate Tesla with Elon Musk and vice versa. Because it's, you know, he's, he's one guy at a company with tens of thousands of employees. And I think the mission of Tesla is actually quite good. I think what they aim to achieve is good. I think their vehicles are good. I think they're doing great things. It's just a bummer that the organization is headed by someone who is now so outlandishly outspoken on a lot of issues that really rub people the wrong way. I think the same thing is true with SpaceX. For years, I've thought that SpaceX is awesome. It's doing amazing things. Gwen Shotwell, the COO, is incredible. She is top tier a level executive and where spacex has been able to 
kind of detached themselves a little bit from Elon in the sense that they're not selling to customers, really. They're selling to governments and to other kind of intra-business B2B agencies. They can kind of detach their image from him. And for a long time, Elon wasn't that involved in SpaceX. I mean, he would say, hey, check out the Falcon launch. You know, this is what we're going to do. But he's not really running the day-to-day. That's been, that's been shot well and has been for years. Tesla is a little bit more intertwined at the hip with Elon Musk, and they are trying to sell to consumers. And I I do wonder if there will become a point, if it hasn't happened already, where some people are purposely not purchasing Tesla vehicles solely because of the perceived affiliation with Elon Musk. And that's that's a shame. How about Twitter? Twitter's a, it's Twitter. Twitter's a service more than a a business. I mean, it, it is a business, obviously, but people don't go to Twitter to, to spend money. I mean, it's, it's a platform to it's social media, right? So even though I think he's a, he's a numbskull on, on Twitter too. And I think that he's ruined a lot of what has made Twitter good. I think that in a vacuum, his other businesses could still be shielded by him being a dumb dumb on Twitter. Cause it does, but Tesla, I think, yeah, it's, it's trickier. I don't know, but I know, I know people love him. And so, you know, I don't, but I I also recognize that even though I think he's a dummy, I know that a lot of people think he's super great. And, you know, if you have some people that five years ago would have never bought a Tesla that are now considering it because of him, there you go. The unfortunate thing about electric cars is for whatever reason, they've become so politicized. Mm -hmm. I don't think it has anything to do with politics. There, One could argue, and and the argument existed for many years, and this is what I think Tesla did really, really well, is for years, electric cars were always perceived as this kind of eco-play, that, oh, if you care about the environment, you're going to get an electric car. And Tesla came out and said, yeah, but also, it's just a really cool car. And there's we're getting close to the point where electric cars, just almost by every metric, are, are better. And so it's not about, do I care about EVs? Do I care? Is global warming real? It doesn't matter. It's just going to get to the point where you buy an electric car because that's the best car. And and hopefully they can weather the storm of perception <laughs> to yeah. make that happen. But I don't know. I wanted to ask too. So depending on who you ask, where you get information from, there were around two and a half million Cybertruck reservations. Yeah. And people that placed a $100 deposit. Elon went recently, I, I my forgot who he was speaking to, but he mentioned they have now over a million reservations. Do you think that was people made price decisions? That, yeah. okay, the, it came in higher than expected. Was it range decisions? The range wasn't was promised. Is it design decisions? And you think that people that sell reservations are waiting for the ones that are going to come in 26, the, the less expensive version of this truck. So big question, is it going to be as big a seller as Tesla was expecting? Yes and no. I think all of those things are true. I do think price is a big problem. I mean, economically, things are not super excellent right now. Interest rates are really high. And the car market in general has slowed a lot in the past 12 months. So they're launching already at kind of an in-ideal time. And then they're also launching with a price that's anywhere from 20 to $40,000 more than people expected with specs that don't match what was promised. And so... I think that a lot of people that were, and that's why this kind of, you know, people would always be like, oh, you know, there's, there's 2 million people that have said they're going to buy a Cybertruck. No, there's 2 million people that gave Tesla $100 that was supposed to be refundable and is refundable for maybe a spot in line. So I keep seeing Tesla's, you know, Sawyer Marriott, no offense to him. I'm sure he's a great guy, but he keeps saying, even if there's only a 40% conversion rate, that's still, you know, 800,000 plus Cybertrucks, they're gonna, they, they won't be able to make that for five, 10 years. 800,000 people are not buying a Cybertruck <laughs> if you ask them today. I do think it will be a really big seller, but I think that's contingent on the price getting to be competitive. The whole argument behind the Cybertruck when it came out on stage was, yeah, you know, it's kind of ugly, but we don't have to send it to the paint shop and we can make this really, really quickly and at scale and really cheap. And so far, it's not really price competitive, yeah. but Tesla always prices to demand. So if they can't make very many of them because their factory is just spooling up and they're trying to figure out how to make these cars and they've got a bunch of Tesla stands that are willing to pay $100,000 for the truck, yeah. why wouldn't they sell them for $100,000? Tesla's demonstrated that they price to demand. They're not like other companies where they go, you know, what can the market bear on average? They'll fluctuate price by the day. 
in order to, to sell the numbers that they want to sell. So I think it launches at its current price. I think it'll stay there until production can reach a level where they can push that price down. And if the promise of it becoming mass producible yields true, I do think that we will actually eventually get a $40,000 Cybertruck. I just think that it'll be many, many years into the future. But that's the whole idea behind Tesla, right? Is that they they close out any comp as soon as anyone comes out with a competitive price, they just go nah, because <laughs> Tesla has the margins and the scale to absorb that where literally no other automaker does. So, so what happens? What happens first? Forty thousand dollars Cybertruck or full autonomy? Forty thousand dollars Cybertruck. <laughs> Cybertruck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> By what it's definition? I guess FSD might yeah. ship before a $40,000 Cybertruck, but do I think you can fall asleep at the wheel and wake up in three hours at your destination? No, I don't think or that's ever wake on the horizon up. soon. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Tesla's so interesting. I mean, any, any, any statement critical of Tesla is interpreted as like a lack of allegiance. Mm. You're not, you're not lockstepping. It's a cold. You're not lockstepping. <laughs> yeah, you're not lockstepping yeah. behind. And I never understood that. I know you said you get you know, accused of, of being a Tesla basher. I get the same thing. And I've, I've owned, I was, I owned one of the very first Model S's yeah. in 2012. Yep. I had a Model X, a Model 3. But it's just, it's so interesting with, with Tesla and Apple, especially. Anything that's not towing the company line is widely misinterpreted. And you're seeing it more and more as Elon himself becomes more polarizing. Mm -hmm. I want to share one interesting thing with you. I think I may have talked about this on another show, but I have a friend of a friend who I had the privilege of, of meeting for lunch. And he was one of the first hundred employees at Tesla. Hmm. So worked real, real closely with Elon and then went to work with him at SpaceX for a while. And then since left to start their own venture, she's like, listen, I haven't, she said, I haven't talked to Elon. This is about a year ago. So right as Twitter was happening, so I haven't spoken to Elon in years. Like, but in my very intensive years I had with him, the man cared about two things. He cared about going to Mars and getting people to drive electric cars. Mm -hmm. He cared about nothing else. Yeah. And like, listen, I'm just speculating wildly. But if you look three years ago, who was buying Teslas? You said Tesla got very politicized. And if you were to politicize it, it was very much folks on the left who were buying Teslas. Mm -hmm. Folks on the right were not. Yeah. And you're like, now who's buying? Now who's buying Teslas? And she's like, it wouldn't surprise me if this was a very intentional pivot just to get people to buy Teslas. Like, he's like, I don't care what anybody thinks about me just to get people to drive electric cars. It was a very interesting, I guess, thought exercise. I do think that people sell Elon Musk short in the sense that there's a lot of people that think his success is accidental or that Tesla and SpaceX yeah. have been successful in spite of Elon Musk. I do not believe that to be true. I think he truly is really smart, really intelligent, perhaps not emotionally, but intellectually. And yeah. he's, he's, a, he's a leader. He, is, he has this Jobs-esque kind of allegiance where people will work for Tesla and work for SpaceX for years for much under what other companies might pay them, but they choose to work with them because they feel like they're making a difference and changing the world. You can't buy that. I, yeah. I think that he, that dynamicism as a leader has been really successful for him for a really long time. I will say that more recently, <laughs> I've been skeptical that that's um, that that his moves are calculated. For a long time, I thought that some of the stuff he did was playing three D chess, and now I'm starting to wonder if he knows all the rules of chess and just <laughs> mostly puts the pieces where the computer says he can put them. I I and I don't know. I I'm not gonna. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not gonna get into whether or not he's changed in the last few years. But it does, at least to me, in his public behavior, seem as though he is no longer in the same place he was, and it doesn't always seem logical. <laughs> but but if if he came out in three years and was like, "Hey, I've been playing 3D chess this whole time. I'm actually." not a fan of Andrew Tate at all. I just like to stir up the drama. And I do think he's a he's a poopster. He likes to he likes to be in the news. He likes to be the center of attention. And so he's gonna do whatever yeah. brings him that. But yeah, I don't know. I, I just try to and this is where 
I think most people can separate the the owner of the company or the CEO from the company itself. There are very few companies yeah. in history where they've been so directly linked. And in, in the case of Tesla, it's been at least so far to the company's benefit, just like I think it was to Apple's benefit during the return of the jobs era. But most companies that don't really matter and the, you know, the, the CEO or the organizational head is less of a marketing play than it is just someone who's the best for the job. <laughs> and um, I, I actually personally envision a, a point in which Elon steps away as CEO from Tesla. I still think he'll be very, very closely involved, but he'll assume more of a, you know, chief vision officer type role rather than day-to-day -day operations. Cause that's where I think his companies in the past have always thrived when he kind of lets other people do the work. And many could argue at Tesla, that's already happened with the rest of the executive team. He's already kind of, I mean, if he's doing Twitter and SpaceX and Tesla, one man can't do a good job at all three of those things by himself and, and so, Neuralink and boring company and Neuralink and the boring company and, what, and all the others. Yeah. Right. And <laughs> right. XAI. Yeah. So I think that, you know, we, we Tesla equals Elon because that's been the case for so long, but I don't think Tesla equals Elon anymore. And I would be surprised if over time his kind of day to day influence at the company shrinks more than it kind of already has. And it's just my hope for him personally because I don't hate Elon Musk. I hope that he, I don't know, gets off Twitter and finds happiness because he just doesn't seem to be happy <laughs> lately where I feel like he used to. And it's it's too bad because, yeah, anyway, I want people to be happy. I'm happy. <laughs> Unless you're on X. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Get me off of that website. And that is it for this edition of Geared Up. Thank you so much for listening. Of course, you can catch John and I on YouTube. I'm at youtube.com slash gear live. And John is at youtube.com slash John for Lakers. Feel free to head over and subscribe to our channels to stay up to date on all the latest tech. Speaking of subscribing, you can subscribe to Geared Up in your favorite podcast app if you haven't done so already. Just search Geared Up. That's two words, not one in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, or really wherever you choose to listen. If you like what we do, please consider leaving us a rating and review. It really helps other people find the show. Thank you so much for listening. For John Rettinger, I'm Andrew Edwards, and we'll catch you in the next episode.